0: Welcome to episode 8 of Exploring Astrophysics. Today I spoke with Aaron Stemo, a PhD candidate studying AGN galaxy mergers. This is when two galaxies collide, where one or more of them have a very bright galactic center. How did you get into the field of astrophysics?
1: (laughs) Yep, Uh, this is the classic one, everybody asks, right? Um, So what I did, uh, so I have a long journey actually to where I am, well longish, longer than normal. Um, so I finished um, you know, uh, what we call high school over here. So um, you know, up to 18 or whatever. Um, and uh, after that, I was going to go to university for my, for my bachelor's degree. Uh, and I was all registered. I was all ready to go. Um, and then I realized I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have any money because <laughs> I'm poor. <laughs> so <laughs> so what, uh, after that, um, I was like looking around, i like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I couldn't even really get student loans. Uh, at all. So I was like, there's no real option right now. So um, I joined the military, because (laughs) the United States, uh, if you do, uh, if you serve in the military, um, then they uh, will pay for your uh, degree afterwards. So essentially, that's what I did. I was like, well, I want to go to school. And I don't know how I'm going to do that, really. Uh, And, you know, this was just an option that popped up. And I was like, you know what, this will, this will work. So that's what I did. I joined the military. um, And I was in the military for five years. Uh, And um, yeah, so after I and then I essentially uh, wrapped that up. And then I was like, you know what, I'm actually going to go to university now, finally. Um, And then I did, I went to the University of Wisconsin. uh, And uh, when I was there, I was like, I was I was an older student, right? I was 23 when I started which means I was kind of like, oh, I don't really want to hang out with all these other 18-year-olds because there is a significant difference between 18 and 23. Um, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. So I essentially just worked or like did classwork the whole time. So I, I, uh, I studied math and I studied astronomy and I studied physics. So I did all three. Um, but as I did it, uh, I was mainly and I also did research in physics. I specifically did plasma physics when I was at University of Wisconsin and i was doing it i was like i don't actually want to do this specifically <laughs> and i looked at and essentially when you're in when you're looking at grad school um you're like oh what kind of specialty almost do you want to do like what specifically do you want to do and i was looking at all the physics subfields and i was like i don't really want to do any of these uh like especially like i don't want to do plasma physics cuz i'd already done it i knew what that one was like and there was a whole bunch of other ones like solid state physics or condensed matter or, or optics and other things and i was like I really don't find any of these interesting, but I had always enjoyed my astronomy classes while I was there. So I was like, you know what? Astrophysics sounds really fun because specifically I like it because it's still big picture questions. It's still like really unknown. There's a lot of things where we're just like, yeah, we don't know. Um, And I think that really interested me because I didn't want to be like, let's refine uh, the wavelength properties of this one material. Like that didn't interest me it was really like, wow, um, what does a black hole do? <laughs> you know, like that's a, that's a really broad question. Um, and we just don't know yet. So I re- that's what attracted me to astrophysics specifically is just that it still has big picture questions while also including you know, cutting edge math and physics and uh, science essentially. Um, so that's why I got into it. And that's how I got into it really.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest attractions for astrophysics is the big scale as well as the maths and physics. Mm -hmm. So what research have you been doing and are currently um, taking part in?
1: Yeah, Uh, so, uh, well, we're talking only about, like, remember, I did plasma physics earlier, earlier, like many years ago. But uh, besides that, then when I got to graduate school, I've been doing research um, on essentially supermassive black holes, AGN, uh, which is active galactic nuclei, which is supermassive black holes that are really bright because they're uh, taking in material, the material is heating up and we can see it as light, right? And these supermassive black holes exist at the center of most, if we think like all moderate to large size galaxies. So really what we're doing is we're looking at a galaxy and then we're really trying to examine this uh, pretty uh, intense extreme object at the center of it uh, that is either, uh, you know, really br- usually really bright when I want to look at them, because if they're not, it's really hard to look at them. Mm-hmm. So that's generally what I study is, you know, host galaxies and their supermassive black holes or AGN, And really, I, I study how they co-evolve. So galaxies grow and supermassive black holes grow. And a lot of things happen with galaxies, actually, right? They, they form stars, they, they are disk uh, galaxies or spiral galaxies, or maybe they're elliptical galaxies or dwarf galaxies. Uh, they have a lot of gas, sometimes the gas is hot, sometimes the gas is cold, um, and they interact with other galaxies and they do all these things. Um, and then really what I wanna know is like, okay, they're undergoing all these things, how does that affect that central uh, supermassive black hole? Like what's happening to that as all, as all these things are being happening to the galaxy? And the reason that this is specifically an interesting question is that we know that the central supermassive black holes uh, of their host galaxies, they're related. Um, like the, the mass of the supermassive black hole at the center of a galaxy is very well correlated with the, uh, the galaxy's bulge mass, right? There's, in a lot of galaxies, right? There's, if it's a disc, uh, specifically it has a disc, there's usually a central bulge, right? So the supermassive black hole is really correlated with that bulge in it, we don't know why. Because yeah, supermassive black holes are big, but they're not so big that they can directly influence, you know, galaxy scale things. That's not, they're not big enough to do that. So they're related, but not directly. So something's happening. Essentially, we think something's happening that is affecting both of them in similar manners. And that's kind of what we're trying to get at is like, okay, these things are undergoing coevolution. And it's probably because there's mechanisms that affect both, and we and we're trying to figure out what that is, and that's what I've been studying. So, with that uh, specifically, uh, I I've been making uh, large catalogs. So it's hard to study these systems. Uh, well, it's not necessarily AGN, um, but if you look at mergers, right, galaxy mergers, um, and right. So uh, we all study mergers, galaxy mergers, and the reason we study them is because we think these are the uh, really, um, essentially like really uh, important events for galaxy evolution, right? What happens is these galaxies come together and then it's like an infusion of gas, right? uh, For each one. It's not like we're like creating gas out of nowhere, but what's happening is when these galaxies interact, uh, they can dynamically through like gravitational interaction and tidal forces or friction, like gas almost like interacting with each other, can drive that gas and move it around in a way where these galaxies form new stars or this gas is put, uh, pushed onto the central supermassive black holes and cause them to grow as well. So we think galaxy mergers are really important growth events for galaxies and supermassive black holes. So therefore, I study galaxy mergers specifically to try to look at these uh, you know, really high growth events to look at like, what are the mechanisms that are causing these things to grow together and how do they grow together. So uh, that's what I study. So what I do with that is I've, you know, really, um, I've tried to make large catalogs of these things. I wanna study them statistically. Um, And the problem is that there's not a lot of systems known where it's a galaxy merger and either one or both of the supermassive black holes related to each galaxy that is merging is active, is that AGN, where it's like really bright, which means it's taking a lot of material. So we want to look for those ones specifically because if they're AGN, they're growing, they're growing a lot. But the thing is, we just can't find them. They're really hard to find. They're kind of rare. And also, as we look out farther away, we're trying to find things that are really close together on the sky, right? As galaxies merge, um, you know, what we're looking at is on the scale of, um, you know, 10 kiloparsecs, which is like 30 light years. Uh, So you're like, wow, that's huge. But when it's like two or three billion light years away, they're really small separations, so that makes it really hard to find. Uh, so I think um, there's only been like fifty or sixty known uh, at all, like in a huge separation range, like from you know very very close uh, to like you know ten fifteen kiloparsecs away uh, in, in range. For for reference, I think. Uh, I think our solar system is what, eight kiloparsecs away from the gal- galactic center. This is something I should probably know off the top of my head. Maybe it's eight, I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, that might be a reference for you. Um, but that's kind of a scale where things kind of start happening and like we get to see all this growth happening. So that's why we're looking for them there. But we've only found like 50 or 60. So I wanted to come in and make a bigger sample so that way we can actually study them statistically. Cause at 50 or 60, it's not a lot. Um, it's not really enough to do good statistics if you chop them into bins, uh, you know, and like, oh, these are these kind, or these are these kind, and these are where these are. So what I've done is I've tried to find as many as I can, and I found about like 200, which is a huge increase. Um, and it's allowed me to do some statistical studies of these systems to try to understand like, okay, what's happening? When, when do these two massive black holes grow a lot? What's happening with the stars in the galaxy? The stars forming at the same time when these things are bright? And like, are there stages to the merger where these different things happen at different times? And that's kind of what I've been studying.
0: When you say you're trying to find these, is it that there are a bunch in the data that we have and it's just a matter of figuring out algorithms to actually find these? Or is it about observing new parts of the sky and looking there?
1: Yeah, um, it's a little bit of both. Uh So um, I specifically used really large survey fields that have already been observed, a lot by Hubble actually. Uh, because Hubble is gives us really beautiful imagery and it can see things that are really close together. Hubble has, it, we call it angular resolution. Um, so, you know, uh, when you look at something you're like, oh, I can see something that's like 10 centimeters away, like across at like 20 feet or something like that. Well, if you, you know, essentially get rid of like some of those units be like, oh, that's an angular separation of this, right? Um, so angular separation is literally just like saying it's a separation on the sky, but we use uh, angle instead of distance. So Hubble has an angular resolution of 0.05 arc seconds. And you don't need to know what that means, but it's really, really good. A ground-based space tel- or a ground-based telescope that looks up like a professional grade one, uh, if it's limited by the atmosphere, right? Cause the atmosphere of like water vapor and other gases in there that make uh, images kind of ha- uh, wiggly. Have you ever looked like a desert, you know how it kind of like waves, that's cause mm-hmm. of temperature differentials and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So similar things happen when you look out into space from the ground. And that's like one arc second. So Hubble is, has uh, you know, vision about 20 times better than that. Um, and, and really Hubble has some of the best, uh, best angular resolution for it, uh, an optical uh, telescope at all. So that's why I've been using it. But Hubble has these huge survey fields. Um, well, huge, huge for Hubble, <laughs> um, uh, where it has you know hundreds of thousands of galaxies that it's seen and people have cataloged these things, but it doesn't mean that everybody's gone through them and looked at them by eye, nor does it mean that they're looking specifically for what I wanted to see, find. Um, so that's what I have done in the past where I've been looking at all these large survey fields and automating the process using a lot of, essentially a lot of iterative tools to try to narrow things down. When you're dealing with like 500,000 galaxies, you need to, you need to automate it, you can't do it all by hand. So that's what I've been doing. Um, In the future, I'll move on to new survey fields with new instruments that are really impressive and that will have huge amounts of data. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Vera Rubin Observatory or the Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope. Uh, Europe has Euclid, which is also gonna be really good. Mm -hmm. So all three programs that are gonna have really, really big survey fields that also will need to be analyzed, uh, you know, automatically by a computer and like even then, It's going to need to be done probably through some sort of data, like pre-data reduction, like a machine learning pipeline, just in order to be able to process all the data. Um, So that's really what I've been looking at. I rarely get to deal with new observations, but I always try to apply. Uh, I've I've applied for uh, Chandra X-ray observatory observations um, that'll essentially, but I use those as follow-up. Essentially, I'm like, this is an interesting galaxy. Let's look at it again.
0: So you mentioned like using iterative processes to narrow down the data that you have to look through. Is that, is it like looking at an image and then knowing, oh, that's a galaxy merger immediately? Are you looking for specific parts of the data that you know are like common in galaxy mergers that you then can analyze more specifically?
1: Yeah, that's essentially, that's what you have to do. You have to try to look for, you know, quantitative indications of what you're looking for in order to narrow down data. So the way I did it, for example, was I started with, you know, 500,000 galaxies in, in these Hubble fields, for example, and I'm like, okay, uh, let's try to, and you try to cut out as much data as quickly as you can. So you do all the big cuts first and you do small cuts later, right? And or, or computationally cheap first or and then computationally expensive later, depending. You can take like a balancing act. But for example, I was looking for merging galaxies with AGN. All right, so what I did, I'm like, okay, let's do AGN first, because that's kind of easy. As astronomers, um, we have a good amount of methods for finding AGN in, in galaxies. Um, they're not perfect, and they're not like the best we can ever do, people are still trying to improve them, but we have them pretty good. And specifically, they're very quantitative. You can essentially say, well, how bright is it in this band versus how bright is it in this band versus how bright is it in this band. Versus, Um, and compare those and be like, okay, it's brighter here, not as bright here and bright here, that means it's probably an AGN. And we do that because we kind of know the light signature of an AGN and we also know what we want to avoid, specifically when we're looking for AGN in the infrared, we want to avoid star formation. So that's kind of like how we know what those are. Uh, So I've I've done that with Spitzer and I also did that with like x-ray data where x-rays like, oh, there's a really big x-ray bright thing but it's it's so bright that it can't be star formation. Okay, that's probably an AGN as well. So you can combine methods. So that's what I did was I found a whole bunch of AGN looking at just quantitative data, which is like how bright is it in these different bands of the spectrum, right? So then I found all my AGN, which was only about three thousand. So that's a huge cut, right? Five hundred thousand to three thousand. Yeah. But now comes the computationally expensive part. How do we find merging galaxies? That's actually really hard because you have to. Really look at the image in some fashion, but I don't want to look at 3,000 things by eye, and I'm not objective. I'm very subjective. Um, So that means that I wanted some sort of quantitative or reproducible and automated way to do it. So what I did specifically was I'm like, okay, uh, we have 3,000 galaxies. I can make a, a cutout. I can make a little image, a little image of the HST observation of it, and I can import that in my computer. My computer can look at it. And what I did was I'm like, okay, computer, find the bright sources in this image. There's software for that. It's called Source Extractor. Um, and what it does, is, it's like, okay, here's a bright spot. And then it does it does some uh, other code magic I could explain. It doesn't really, it's not really important, but what it does is it makes sure you're not like over, it's not like multi- selecting the same source multiple times. right? so it's like, okay, here's a whole bunch of bright s- sources that are probably either stars or galaxies, right? And I know there's at least one galaxy in it. Um, so I'm like, okay, here's a whole bunch of bright spots. Now and then I go to another piece of software. This one's called GALFIT, which is a galaxy morphological fitting program. And what it does is it literally tries to fit uh, light profiles. So it's like, okay, this you know this little dot is actually um, something that is slightly uh, you know oval-like, uh, and that's probably a disc galaxy, right? That's an oval. Um, or this thing uh, over here, this other source is an elliptical galaxy and it has this sort certain light profile. <clears throat> we know what these light profiles are um, because we kind of figured them out like within the last you know, 50, 70 years, I don't know. So we know what galaxies light profiles look like and that's what GalFit does. It's like, okay, let's try to fit different known galaxy light profiles to these sources. So that's what I did then was I was like, okay, I have a whole bunch of sources Let's use GalFit to iteratively fit all these sources to try to look for pairs of galaxies, right? And that's kind of what I did. Um, And it it worked out pretty decently. I still came up with like 500 from 3000. And then I still had to go through them by eye though, just because automated methods could never be perfect, sadly. Um, Especially ones that are so rigid, all right? So GalFit is like, I can do this and only this. Um, and I think that uh, for the future, machine learning methods are much better for that because they're very flexible and they're self-teaching. Um, so I think that's kind of the future to go from here. But in the, what I've done was use those essentially methods. So very rigid methods, but in an iterative way where I'm trying to chop down to what I want.
0: So really interesting, um, the whole narrowing down of such a large data range into just 500, which is pretty amazing. Yeah.
1: Yep, and then but- I cut the 500 down to 200 by eye, still,
0: but at least it was only
1: like, it was only 500. It wasn't 500,000. So that was nice.
0: So what do you plan on doing now that your PhD candidacy is coming to an end? Um, you mentioned that you're going to be working with Dr. Rano. So what, what, what kind of work will you do? Would be doing? Will it be just a continuation of this and potentially using the newer catalogs that are going to be coming out soon?
1: Um, so as I move over to work with uh, Jesse, Dr. Renault out of Vanderbilt. Um, I will be transitioning a little bit, right? So I do have expertise in this area. So I'm gonna to try to bring that to bear and use it as I go there. But the, but the, but the focus of the research will uh, shift slightly. So that way I can more fit into the group. Um, because, you know, Jessie has her own uh, research priorities and her group has research priorities. And also there's other experts there that are doing other things. Um, so will I be continuing this in a fashion? Uh, but like, you know, Jesse focuses a lot on like variable AGN and uh, supermassive black hole binaries. She also looks at mergers. Um, so it's a slight shift, right? I'm looking at a very broad population. But when I go to Vanderbilt, maybe I'll focus more, uh, more closely on variable AGN or variable AGN and mergers or really close stage mergers, which is sometimes what she looks at. And trying to understand still, you know, the galaxy, uh, the host galaxy AGN coevolution. I think that's still a really important thing to study. Uh, so I'll still be, in general, looking at galaxy coevolution with their AGM, but I'll be looking at different populations, most likely. And I'll probably be doing it in different methods. Or maybe I'll be looking at things closer than what I've been looking at before. Uh, my, my, my sample in the past was looking at things of, I'm going to use redshifts first, and I'll tell you what it is. But in redshifts of 0.2 to 2.5, which is really far away, that's two and a half billion uh, light years in travel time for the light all the way up to 11 billion uh, light years uh, in travel time away. So these are really, really things that are far away. They're not what we call local at all. Um, So, but she has access to something called uh, Sloan, which is uh, you know spectroscopic data. That might be interesting to incorporate a little bit. I don't think I'll be a primary on that kind of data, but in order to actually use it a little bit in in these studies would be interesting. And also if she's looking at variable AGN, that's already a whole nother population that would be really interesting to study uh, in this manner that I haven't looked at before. But also, um, you know, since I'm starting in the fall, it's still really in flux. It's really going to be a conversation that me and Jesse come up with together, uh, you know, over the summer. And then as I get there and really see like, how do we want to move forward together and work together and what projects do we both find really interesting?
0: Wow. that's, uh, That's amazing. I wish you the best of luck um, with your future work in the fall and thank you very much for speaking with me today. It was very interesting learning more about galaxy mergers and AGNs. So thank you.
1: Yeah, it was great talking to you too. I hope, I hope you got some good information out of this and let me know if you ever uh, want to talk about anything else again.